Welcome to the Warning Track Power Hour. I'm Andrew Scaff. He's Mike Worman. Uh, today we'll get to the continuing awful season of the Kansas City Royals. Uh, talk a little bit about the Belmont Stakes and uh, the NFL news. Um, but we'll open today's show with the um, NBA and NHL finals now being completed. Um, we will start with the NBA. Sure. And, uh, Mike, what did you find more impressive about the series? The maybe dominant wins from uh, Denver, you know, taking the four in just five games, uh, or was it? Did you find it more impressive to have like uh, the thirty twenty ten uh, triple double from Jokic in the same game where his teammate also had a thirty point triple double? What did you find yeah. more interesting? That was really something I thought in, I think it was game three mm-hmm. that uh, they had uh, the uh, Jamal Murray and, and um, uh, Jokic had those uh, kind of insane um, triple doubles, but it was like, um, yeah, I thought, I thought the series as a whole wasn't that compelling. Because there weren't that many, I guess there was one close game with the Heat pulled out, that the Heat pulled out. Mm-hmm. But the rest of them, they weren't like blowouts, but they weren't like super close either. And it only went five. So it wasn't like a really dramatic series. Right. And it was one of those series where we thought the one team that was better was a decent amount better than the other team. And it turned out to be the case. Mm. I guess the surprise was maybe that the Heat won in Denver rather than winning in Miami since um, yeah, Denver is not necessarily seen as like the best road team. They have that big home field advantage being in the altitude. But I, yeah, I didn't find this. I guess I found it impressive Denver's run through the playoffs and their ability to close out games and, you know, win when they should. And, but I, you know, they, I, I didn't find the series that compelling, partly, I guess, because, yeah, the individual games, none of them, like only one or two of them were really good, like in terms of like close games, like the, the, the yeah, like you had said in game, you know, was it, I think it was game three when um, uh, Murray and um, uh, Jokic had their the triple doubles, yeah, the triple doubles was something, but. 34, 21, and 10, though, for a single game is, is yeah, that's, 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 that. that's impressive. He's one of the best players <laughs> in, in the world, of course. Yeah, so yeah, uh, you'll, and you'll get to 30. Maybe, yeah, 30. maybe should have been the uh, MVP this season, right? Yeah, he, yeah. He was 32. He won, was last year, I guess, right? Did he win yeah. this year, too? Who was the MVP this year? Oh, it was, it was Joel, Joel Embiid. Yeah, you're yeah. not an Embiid. You're not an Embiid guy. Um, yeah, he was 30. Yeah, 32, 21, and 10. And then I guess Murray was 34, 10 and 10. So it oh, was Murray like, at 34. Oh, yes. That's Murray right. at 34, 10 and 10. So like as well as like one off, you know, one different wouldn't be a triple double. So it's like one of those things where like a triple double is kind of an imaginary yeah. stat because like it really like you know isn't being, you know, score, you know, 30, you know, 30, you know, if uh Jokic had 40 points and 20 rebounds, but only nine assists, that's not a triple double. But if he had like but if he had, you know, 10 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, that would be a triple-double, like, yes. which is a better game. You know, it's, it's a little like yeah. hitting for the cycle, I think. it's it's. Oh, I think I think it's more like the uh, quality start in baseball. 
Because really, I think, who cares? But yeah, it's one of those things where you, it, it's definitely a mark of a good game, but it's not necessarily a triple double. I don't think is something that necessarily should be its own stat because, like, yeah. it's well, you know, it it's interesting, but it's not like I don't know. It's these are it, it just it just happens to be this interesting combination because like, it can also be a triple double with other stat lines like blocks or steals could count yes. for it, and yeah, but not fouls. I, Yes, you only have up to six fouls. <laughs> at least the way the NBA currently is, I'm not sure. Right. If it's, I, will, I don't know when the six foul rule uh, began, but probably. But you're going, and, yeah. and it can't be turnovers. I don't think either. So <laughs> yeah, you don't want a negative stat. You got turnovers. You missed uh, <laughs> missed shots. Um, yeah. I mean, they could include those as mm-hmm. potential. Yeah, yeah, like, what, what, yeah, what, yeah. Why wouldn't they? Or field goal attempts, you know, why don't they include that in this part of the? Yeah, that's part of the the, the the double. But yeah, or I think some of it was. Do you think um, the triple double was popularized at all uh, by Ice Cube? In uh, today was a good day because he messed around got last week and got a triple double. Yeah. But Absolutely. that was already it was already a phrase then. But do you think yeah. it was popularized as a um, kind of general term? Yeah, I think, it, I think it was more of like yeah, media uh, popularized, and then it got picked up in other in other you know other realms then too as being a you know making the term elevated, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's it's probably it's much less meaningful than you know contributing to your team. <laughs> To win and then yeah contributing to your own stats though too right so yeah it's sometimes it's an individual stat type of thing that necessarily doesn't necessarily always mean i guess usually if you have triple double your team's probably doing pretty well because you've got a lot of assists a lot of rebounds do you know who yeah, leads right. the league in the uh you know who's number one in league history in triple doubles as an active player is number one in history in triple doubles so it's not who you well, oh, i do you, know this and it's not who you would think is the best player <laughs> right oh no i no, I can't think who it is. Who is it? Russell Westbrook. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Westbrook. Yeah, Russell Westbrook has 198. Yeah, that's right. Triple doubles. He passed Oscar Robertson. Yeah, first place. Oscar Robertson has 181. Um, and Magic Johnson is third with 138. LeBron and Jason Kidd are tied with 107. Jokic already. Is number seven all time in triple doubles? Wow, with one hundred and five. So I would guess that he will pass. Um, all, maybe he'll probably pass LeBron next year. And yeah, he's only two behind LeBron right yeah. now. And I would guess he would pass everybody. Well, I guess we have a couple more. Except probably, you know, two or three more years maybe for Westbrook playing, and you know, so he probably. Will, I don't know, but it's it's one of those things. Yeah, so like Jokic is, um, really high up. Um. Will Chamberlain is number eight. James Harden, number nine. Larry Bird, number 10. Luka Doncic is number 11 with 56. Yeah, so he'll he'll contend for the top end of that by the yeah. end of his career, I would assume. Yeah, probably. Number 12 is Fat Lever. Do you remember what Fat was short for? No, fat no Lever, the, the Denver Nuggets, uh, former Nuggets. But I remember mostly for the Nuggets. Um, he played in the 80s and early 90s. He was Lafayette. Oh, Lever. 
That's not not what I was going to assume. No, I didn't. Know. <laughs> I just assumed it was just a straight nickname. It had nothing to do with. No, he wasn't very fat. He was, I assumed he was just he was... like a very skinny kid, and then you know, oh. you know, the like the opposite sort of nickname, like strap. Oh, I wonder if that was slim, part of it. something like that. That's what I. That's what I was just assuming, right? I assumed it came from Lafayette, but uh, maybe I'll. No, okay. So it says he was born in Arkansas. The second of three sons. He was nicknamed Fat by his younger brother, who had problems saying all of the syllables. Yeah. So Fat, Fat. Okay. So yeah, it was yeah. from his name, but he was a skinny guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it wasn't like a fat guy called Slim. I don't know if you, um, or was Minnesota Fats Fat? I think I thought so. Right, that's how I've always assumed he was. I guess I don't know. Yeah, he was fat. Okay. Yeah. You know Minnesota Fats. Uh, well, there's a real Minnesota Fats, and there's a fake Minnesota Fats. So the real Minnesota Fats, well, I think the um, Minnesota Fats was originally he was played by Jackie Gleason in yeah. The Hustler with um, Paul Newman. So, but there was also a actual pool player. Yeah, uh, no, the, the character sort of based off of right. I think, or maybe it was the um. No, he took the name from the character. Really? But he claimed that the character was based on him. So I don't know. It's yeah. one of those things where like, do you believe like are you gonna believe the word of a pool player whose job probably before professional pool was a thing was hustling people and yes. you know and things like that. So I would guess yeah, I, I'd say the jury's out on that. But uh, <laughs> he was his name, Minnesota Fats, was named Rudolph. Wanderon, Rudolf Rudolf Walter Wanderon. Um, he was never from Minnesota. Yeah, that's what I assumed. He grew up in New York, but he was Swiss German. And so, 1961, the film version of the novel *The Hustler* was released in Minnesota Fats and. Apparently, Vonderone was known as New York Fats sometimes before that. And he decided to become Minnesota Fats. Hmm. And, um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he was, he was a, he was a Swiss German, but he was also, so his nicknames included Minnesota Fats, New York Fats, Broadway Fats, Chicago Fats, Double Smart. And triple smart fats. I'm not sure. Yeah, so he was. Uh, that's a lot of nicknames. Um, yeah. But he was. Yeah, he was pretty fat. But in his, there's some pictures of him in older age. He seemed to have lost a lot of weight as he got older, and he was only like, um, he wasn't really that fat when he was old. But hmm. and even like fat guys back then aren't as fat as fat guys today. Yeah. So like, they're just like you and me. Probably they'd be called. Uh, yeah, but but Minnesota fats is a much better nickname than like, you know, Minnesota moderately overweight. I yeah. guess right. That's that or, or even New York fats. I guess I think the, yeah. I think the, uh, but yeah, he was um, in Minnesota. The the, the character Rudolf, uh, the guy Rudolf Vondero, he died in ninety six, as Minnesota fats. But he was, um, anyway, but. Back to the I was uh, the triple double uh, stats. Yes. <laughs> so Lafayette Fat Lever, then Giannis is number thirteen. Okay. But 
Um, he's pretty he's, young still, so he's played more seasons than either Doncic or um, Jokic ahead of him. So he's not gonna probably pass those guys. Well, so maybe um, what? So what do you find more impressive then, as just a general individual stat, the triple double, or the hat trick in hockey? I think the hat trick in hockey is more impressive because it's it's three goals scored and goals are hard to come by, and I would say like you know points in basketball, like. There are, you know, if you score 100 points and if you score 10 points out of those 100, that's not like, you know, or 20 or you know, 20, even 30 is 30s are, you know, a really impressive, I think, number to get. Yeah. But, but like, you know, 10 assists, well, probably, they're probably 40, 35 to 40 assists probably in each or, basketball game by each team, do you think? There were 39 assists in uh, tonight's uh, decisive or yesterday's decisive uh, NBA final. Okay, because like some of the shots are like putbacks, some are free throws, but like a lot of the right. a lot of the a lot of the, a lot of them are going to have assists, rebounds, missed shots. There's always going to be a lot of rebounds. So like, yeah. I would say like hockey, like usually there are only sometimes three, four, five, six goals, and if you have three of them, that's half your team. That's like sometimes more than half your team's total. So like I would yeah. say that the you know goal scoring a hat trick like soccer especially is is probably the most impressive but uh well in hockey you're not on the ice but you were close to the whole game like you may only play like a quarter to a third of the game yeah because there's those line shifts and things yeah you're yeah you're at least in soccer you're on the field for most of the game but once you come out you can't come back in right so yeah but like yeah most of the you know you'll be on especially before in like the pre-modern substitution rules where like you can only have you know, three or maybe even fewer subs. Now there's like five because of COVID, I think. And now and they yeah. decided to keep that, right, um, in a lot of leagues. So, yeah, I would say that the hat trick is more. I guess technically you're not playing the whole game of basketball either, but some guys do yeah. play. Uh, 40 more minutes and others. Minutes. Anyway, yeah. yeah. And I think especially earlier in the, um, like, you know, not in the last over the last several years, but there's been a lot more rest for top players. But in you know Jordan's era or whatever, he probably played 42 minutes out of 48, probably most nights. And yeah. you know, so it's yeah, I think I think the triple double is a it's a it's in some ways it's a kind of it's a kind of in, interesting tidbit, but it's not necessarily I think a great stat because yeah, what's better is it you know 30 points, 10 you know, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, or is it 35 points, 11 rebounds, nine assists? You know, like, what what was it? Like, why is one considered to be a, this thing that we should record yeah. and the other not? Like, uh, that's, that's why it's just kind of like hitting for the cycle. Like, hitting, you know, a single, a double, a triple, and a home run, it might look kind of neat, but hitting two doubles, a triple, and a home run is a better game than hitting a single double. Yes, or, or like, you know, if you do it by total bases or whatever, you know, so like, it's just, it's yeah. one of those things that has a kind of a round. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think also you can say, well, you know, if, if it is indicative of being like the best player, why is Russell Westbrook on top? Right. Right. Well, I know a lot, I mean, a lot of Westbrook's triple doubles are because he was the primary scorer and offensive linchpin for 
the teams he was on. So like if he didn't get a triple double, the team was going to lose, right? Yeah, that's a true. lot of those years anyway. But yeah, but he was yeah he was a great he is and still is a pretty good player. But like mm-hmm. he was um, played for Oklahoma City in the years after Harden left and after Durant left and yeah and got a lot of those and kind of had to carry the team. So like. You know, it's a little interesting that maybe that he has more, like a, lot, a significant amount more of those than like LeBron has. Um, and uh, you wonder, is this some is like the triple double? Was that something that Westbrook chases? Like, will he intentionally try to get that? And like, you know, like is he getting, is he missing shots and getting his own rebound to get? Hey. like to get to pad the stat it's a two yeah or is yeah. he like you know but the, the nba has been like relatively protective of the triple double because they have like taken away rebounds from players that weren't like legitimate rebounds because there were times like where a player would just kind of like throw the ball at the rim themselves yeah and then grab it and they they've taken some of those away in the past to to in some way you know protect the the validity of the triple double as a stat, so I think the league actually does care at least a little bit, um, you know about about that. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, it seems seems like something that Westbrook prided, prided himself on. Yeah, because he had he had eleven straight triple doubles in twenty nineteen. At one point. It says three of the four longest streaks in in NBA history were by Westbrook. So, like, you know, that's uh-huh. a yeah. I don't, you know, it's one of those things that I think is an, a good stat. But yeah, well, I don't know if you want to go back to the um, Heat Nuggets. What did, did you? Were you? Um, was there anything in the series that you that you thought was interesting or, or worthwhile, or was it a kind of humdrum? Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't ever really get that intense, I don't think. Yeah, because it seemed like Miami kind of, like, made some runs a few different times, but it seemed like um, they couldn't really put, like, long strings of, you know, scoring together because, yeah, Denver was just so dominant at being able to break up some of those, you know, like, long runs anyway. So, like, the, the games, yeah, didn't weren't terribly exciting, but that's kind of what made, you know, Denver's dominance was on display the whole time, too, so... They played really well. They were, I mean, they, you know, it wasn't controversial. I mean, they, no, they, they, they won and they look like the better team and, and won decisively. Yeah. And you wonder, I guess maybe you would think, well, would Denver have done so, done as well if they had played one of the top seeds in the East rather than playing the eighth seed? Was is Miami just kind of out of gas at that point? Yeah. But I mean, Miami handled all the teams that they face. So it's, yeah. if, and if, and it, you know, Denver handled Miami well, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's I, it fair, seems yeah. like this was Denver's year, the way that they played in the playoffs, at least anyway, right? Yeah, you can't argue with the result they won, yeah. and it wasn't like there were like fluke. It's a seven, you know, with the seven game series, it's even if there's one weird game, you can overcome it by. It's not like the in, you know NFL playoffs or something like that where you have sometimes you have this kind of fluke. They're all one and done. Super Bowl opponent, and. Yeah. Or like you think of the eighty-five Chicago Bears playing the New England Patriots and just blowing them out, and like the Patriots weren't expected to be this really kind of got into it, and then they were kind of exposed by the Bears. Yeah. You know, think of the, some of those teams like uh, 
ones that you know the cind a lot of those Cinderella stories they end abruptly, and yeah. I guess this was kind of one of those that they just ran into a a better team, and yeah, like I said, you know, I, I think the, the Nuggets were deserving champions, but like it wasn't a particularly compelling series to me. Yeah, but I did predict them to win in five, so I, I feel good. Spot on. That. I was spot on. Yeah. Unlike the NHL, which I have missed again on the series, I predicted the Panthers to win in seven, but it became clear tonight that the Knights would actually win in five, blowing out the Panthers in game five, nine to three. You were the winner of this since you predict you did not pick the Panthers. You actually just kind of went against whatever I was going to go against. So I think I cursed uh, yeah. the Panthers either way. Or curse the Panthers this way, and so are you? Uh, did you find? Did you watch um, much of the uh, Stanley Cup Finals? Yeah, I watch. I watch a lot of it, and yeah, yeah. A lot of the games there were pretty close too, but uh, yeah, Vegas again, just um, especially tonight, absolutely dominant. Though nine goals, game <laughs> is a crazy high total for for a finals game um and and uh it seemed as though yeah florida was kind of done i think you know their third top player had been injured earlier in the series mm -hmm. and and uh was limited in the in game four uh um and that's uh matthew chuck yeah uh and then he was unavailable for tonight's game and uh, that apparently made a big difference too because he, he was their yeah florida's top top player all around mm -hmm. and and was had been the guy that had scored all the late like game winners overtime clinching goals too and in, in the uh yeah. their their uh magical playoff run uh but uh yeah it, it was really amazing how how um paralleled the nba and nhl playoffs were um really throughout with the you know both of the semifinals were like almost the same i think the same seeds had won on both and they looked like they were all going to be sweeps and the one seeds um you know finished their sweeps and then the eight seeds won the other um semifinal matchup uh and then they i they didn't end in the same number of games they were close though right it was like um in the in the in the, in, in the, the conference NBA went to seven and in the conference in the, in the conference yeah, yeah. the six in the nhl and then it so it was a one versus an eight uh in both leagues. Both of these games ended up going exactly five games with it with, with the one seed winning four to one. So there are like mm -hmm. some really interesting parallels between the two finals. And, and you know, as they're being played essentially simultaneously uh between the two leagues, and you know, they really have nothing to do with each other, but but uh the yeah, parallels were it, really interesting at and least. And like, yeah, you would say like Florida Florida teams were both eight or were the you know, South Florida teams were both the eight seeds. Um, Western landlocked uh, uh, <laughs> metropolitan areas were the homes of the Western one seeds that won mm -hmm. the Denver and Las Vegas. So, like, um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, there were some interesting parallels. The, you know, like, yeah, the uh, NHL, the, I think when the Panthers didn't pull out game four, yeah, they seemed kind of done as well. Like you said, to, to uh, Kachuk was, was hurt. And not playing, and it was back in, um, back in Vegas, 
And both, I guess, both home teams won in at home in Game Five. Mm-hmm. So that was another parallel. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, there were. I, yeah, I think I think both playoff, uh, the playoffs overall were were fun to watch. But yeah, then like the the finals weren't terribly riveting. But yeah. I think the team that won probably deserved to win. You know, it's one of those things like where you hope, it, I, I, you know, not just fans, but probably networks also hope that it goes seven because then you could sell more tickets and more games and more 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 advertising revenue. You want you right. want stuff. You want you want a longer series. I guess they weren't sweeps, which was good at least. But yeah, yeah, it was something that yeah they I, yeah I'm yeah I don't uh, I hope that uh, when baseball around to it uh it, it the playoffs are as fun yeah. yeah but maybe yeah maybe not overwhelming but also not underwhelming just just whelmed is that what you're saying yeah well, i think in some ways you'd you would have wanted the top like in terms of probably network eyes like it, they would have preferred in the nba for sure it would a lakers celtics final would have been much more interesting maybe for an nba fan Probably Denver because Jokic is such a talented young player. But yeah. Um, yeah, hockey, maybe you also would want like colder climate teams or Canadian teams. At least maybe. have a Canadian team make it deep enough into the tournament to make it interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. So it didn't. Yeah, the Maple Leafs. Uh, yeah, the, like I think the two the two kind of favorite. Eastern Conference teams that probably the average person might have wanted with the would be the Bruins because they had such a great season, mm-hmm. and then the Maple Leafs because they've been so star-crossed over the years in their yeah. Canadian team. Uh, the Panthers beat both of them, and nobody wants like, really nobody wants Florida hockey except maybe some people in Florida, and some, yeah, <laughs> right, and somewhat similar for Vegas, although you could you know it's. It's yeah, you know, they didn't. They beat Dallas in the you know. I guess, I guess Dallas is you know. It's it's a little more lucky historical anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah but not there. really been for a while. No. Yeah, So like it was probably not the teams that that uh, the NHL would have wanted at the beginning of the season in the finals either. But I think it was. I think I think the the playoffs were you know pretty well played and, and they were fun to watch when, when you watched and yeah. even if it didn't quite wasn't didn't maximize all of the drama but it was it was it was still pretty good so maybe, maybe before we move on to the next topic between the Denver Nuggets and Vegas Golden Knights which of these two teams would you think is more likely to go back to the finals next year in their respective sports either of them neither of them both of them I think Denver's more likely, partly because I think hockey's a little more chaotic in terms of its results. In the playoffs, especially. Yeah, there aren't as many points scored. So, like, each goal is worth more, and a goal is hard to come by. Like, a hot goalie one night can really change things. Where, like, in the NBA, you'll have, you know... Unless you're scoring nine a game like like Vegas did. (laughs) If you score nine a game, you're probably going to win a lot. Yeah, like I would say the NBA is more like it's one of those things for like frac it's like fractional numbers add up as time goes on. 
some yeah. to, like something that's more accurate than like if you're rounding them off uh and you know like if you need you know if like you know each goal like you know let's say some shots you're you have a 30 percent chance of making the sh making the shot a goal and that becomes a goal but then like in the nba well if you keep shooting 30 percent volume types of shots well it's more and more likely that um you're only going to make 30 out of a you know 30 out of 100 but you know you'll but i think in, in hockey there's you know there's random fluctuations kind of like soccer like lots of times yeah. a team in soccer will dominate a game but there's one goal that's the other team scores and the other team and then like they lose one nothing even though they're the better team hockey gets a little bit like that because there aren't that many goals so but basketball if you're the better team you're usually going to be scoring more points than the yeah, it's not that hard to score points. Um, well, and and um and Denver's um stars seem to be pretty durable too. So that's you know a big advantage they have in the NBA at least anyway is that you know staying on the court as much as possible <laughs> gives your team a much better chance to win. Yeah, and and maybe you could say the Western Conference is a little easier right now than the East, or maybe just that the stars in the West right now are older. And you would think, well, maybe mm. next year they're going to be even a little bit An older. aging West. Yeah. yeah, so like LeBron's getting old, Durant, you know, and some of the Phoenix guys were old, but Jokic is Jokic and Murray are pretty young. Um, some of the Phoenix guys are still pretty young too. But like, like I, I would say that the East seemed to have a little bit more talent than the West. It's not mm. quite as maybe dramatic as like the AFC versus the NFC right now in football where like all the good teams seem to be in the AFC. Yeah. And there's like two well, good teams. All the good quarterbacks are in the AFC. The good quarterbacks <laughs> in the AFC. And there's like two good teams in the NFC. Yeah. And the rest is pretty blah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you can have like a mediocre quarterback and still be a pretty good team in the NFC where you can't do that in the AFC. So yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, it's a it's so I yeah so I, I think I think Denver's more like that. Do you, do you would you agree or do you think the Knights are destined for uh, a repeat? Yeah, well, I mean they were in the finals not that long ago, um, in their first year as a franchise. So, I mean, it seems like they're gonna, they, they're probably going to be around at least anyway. I don't think they're going to break it up, uh, you know, and disperse the team. But uh, but I think yeah, exactly. You're exactly right though. Is that in, in the NHL the especially the playoffs tend to be very chaotic and your odds of getting through the playoffs are, are pretty difficult. And yeah, the NBA, if you're the better team, you're probably going to make it through. So as long as Denver keeps the team together and, and uh, you know, keeps everybody relatively healthy, it'd be surprising if they're not at least in the conference finals next year. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I guess, uh, you know, like, um, The the Knights have some good uh, young players too, like Eichel, and he's still he's still uh, pretty young, I think. Mm -hmm. Jack Eichel, he's like, uh, but yeah, a lot of their guys are still on the young side, and I think could could come back too. But yeah, yeah, it's good. I think like he's yeah, the NBA is more more predictable in its playoffs usually, and. Yeah, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a prep shoot in the in the AHL. Yeah. Uh, speaking of crap, 
unpredictability and, and, and crap. Oh, uh, unpredictable crap. You want to talk about the Royals? I was thinking we might talk about the Belmont Stakes being unpredictable, but we're just going to uh, uh, the crap. Uh, we can just we can just go to the Royals. Let's talk. Let's talk about. I thought Royals. I thought that was like I was not. I was surprised by that. I thought that's where you're going. It's like wow. No, no, no. That wasn't what it would have been. That actually would have been better probably. Uh, the, your, your idea. But you want, you want to do Royals? Get it out of the way. <laughs> Whatever is fine. <laughs> Go for it. Well, we can, we'll, maybe we'll talk about past results because we're going to talk, talk about future stuff when we talk about the Royals mostly. So we'll talk about past. And we'll finish yeah. like the, Bel- the Belmont Stakes were uh, run. Championships. We we're talking about championships right talking now. about championships. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll keep that. So the third leg of the Triple Crown, there was no eligible Triple Crown uh, winner because Mage had lost in the Freakness. Right. Um, and then did, did he run the national treasure? He did not run in the, the Belmont. They didn't run the Belmont. Yeah, he ran, he got yeah he did not run the Belmont. But um, his jockey Javier Castellanos uh, rode another horse in the Belmont Stakes and actually won on Arcangelo, uh, who uh, was kind of a dark horse winner, and Arcangelo and won won the Belmont Stakes, and um, Castellanos won. His uh, career triple crown. He had won the Kentucky Derby this year, and then won I think a, maybe a two Preaknesses, or maybe a Kentucky Derby and a Preakness before, and had uh, and won the Belmont this year. So his career triple crown was was completed as a jockey, which is um, impressive. And perhaps most notable that I was surprised at was the uh, trainer of Arcangelo was. Uh, Je- uh, Jenna Antonucci, and she was the first woman to win the Triple Crown as a trainer, win any Triple Crown race as a trainer. And they've been run for 150 plus years, each of them. Yeah. So it's, and it's one of those things where like, this is, it seems like it's purely sexism because, like, yeah. how is, you know, like training a horse, like, you wouldn't think that, you know, there's a, a man would be able to do it any better than a a woman so like it just seems like it's it just maybe a i guess uh you know horse keeping kind of old old boy you know horse training kind of old boys club and but but antonucci um she uh broke through and was the first uh, woman to win and she's uh yeah so that was something i think with uh jenna antonucci and, and arcangelo who uh, was uh, a what was his or his odds were seven to seven to one uh, mm-hmm. at least in the at least at one point seven to one so he was not he not running either of the previous legs and but he had won at Belmont before in May at the Peter Pan Stakes. But it was a shorter race than the Belmont, which is a mile and a half. Or as we learned last year or last week, twelve furlongs. Yes. Uh, and you know, the longest of any of the triple crown. One hundred and twenty chains, was that right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yes. Chains in a poles. Because poles and chains are the same, right? Wasn't that what it was? Maybe. No, poles and rods are the same. No. Oh. Uh-oh. No, I don't want to I don't want to bring this back up again. I, I'm sorry I said anything. No, never mind. Okay. 
yeah, chain. So there are. Oh, we won't. We won't spend that much time. But yeah, there. But there are. Yes, you're right. There are ten chains in a furlong. You're okay. right. 22, 22 yards in a chain. Two hundred twenty yards in a furlong. Um, but there are forty poles in a furlong. So there, I guess there are. Four oh right, it was four. It's four poles for a chain. Four rods slash poles in a chain. Yes. And then, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll yeah. get these down, and we'll be able to. And all of our listeners and viewers will understand all these as we go along. Yes. Our yeah, long going, our long running uh, weights and measures segments. Yes. The Bones Bones takes race is also half a league long because a league is three miles. Um, we didn't get to the longer. We did not uh, go longer. Yeah, no. Half a league. <laughs> okay. A league. Yeah. And I always, and, and that was interesting. Like, like the book 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah. They refer to a distance traveled underwater rather than being deep yeah. underwater, which as a kid, I would have guessed it meant deep. Oh. But it just means distance traveled underwater. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's, a lot, it's a lot lamer that way. Because it's like, okay, we're, I guess we traveled 60,000. I guess that's a lot. Of, that's like three times, almost, you know, more than two times around the circumference of the Earth, although you can't just. Go around the circumference of the Earth in a submarine because you run into land, so you have to do a little bit uh, of a different yeah. thing. But yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> but yeah, so twenty thousand leagues. It was just yeah, it's sixty thousand miles. Although maybe a French league is different from an English. Oh, Uh-oh. League. Um, and it's something uh, we'll have to look up, I guess. Um, league unit. So. Three miles. Okay, so Europe, Latin America, no longer official, derived from an ancient Celtic unit adopted by the Romans as a leuga. That sounds like one of those uh, old uh, car horns. Yes. Leuga. Absolutely. Reminds me of uh, that Seinfeld episode when uh, Kruger, uh, when George worked for Kruger and the K fell off, or the, the R fell off and it was Cayuga. Yeah. It's like one of those old car horns. But originally, it seems like it was the distance a person could walk in an hour. Hmm. I guess go about three miles an hour. Yeah, well, that's about right. Yeah, twenty minutes yeah. for for a mile or so. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty normal. Yeah, yeah. But in different places, league is oh, the French league is anywhere from two point oh two to two point nine one miles. So uh, a metric league was used in France from eighteen twelve to eighteen forty, with one metric league being exactly four thousand meters. Or two and a half miles, and that is the unit referenced in the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. It's the old French metric league, spelled L I G U E, like the soccer league one. Yes, um, and so that is the league. And what, was it, what was that? Two point five miles. So in Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, it's only fifty thousand miles. So I guess maybe that's like you think that's two of the Earth's so Earth's circumference is about twenty five thousand. Miles, so I yeah. guess that's two trips. Um, right. Hmm. <laughs> well, you did mention that um, was the first female trainer. Mm-hmm. One yes. a yeah, uh, Oh uh, yeah, won a uh, triple crown race. So ha- have there been female owners that have won triple crown? Yeah, race? I was looking that up earlier, and there have been. Um, it's hard to say because lots of times the owners are like in a group or it's like a husband and wife team mm. that own them. 
but in some of the early Triple Crown races, early 20th century, one of the big owners was a woman, um, and her name was Fanny Hertz, which come on. <laughs> I, 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 until uh, you had uh, laughed at that name, I was, I didn't think that was that interesting, but I guess, yeah, it makes fun. It, it is, it is. Uh, You're on like funny. a joke website or something, right? This isn't, uh, <laughs> no, really? That's, that was, yeah. Yeah. John, uh, the wife of John D. Hertz, the American businessman who was born in Hungary as Shandor Hertz. Um, Hertz is most famous. Mr. Hertz was most famous for being the namesake of Hertz car rental. He had started as an amateur boxer, then a newspaperman, then he was a cab driver, then he owned a bunch of cabs, and then he owned this rental car company. And so that was his name. But his wife, Frances Fanny Hertz, um, and I guess that's probably what a lot of jockeys might, uh, having a lot of jockeys, you ride a horse uh, too long, at least the American Fanny uh, would would happen. But yeah, Fanny Hertz. uh, Name would probably be even more amusing too. To a British person, though, yes. Well, yeah, I guess it's we sort of like a... childishly chuckle at that, but uh, yeah, the Brits would <laughs> more, man, more guess... childishly chuckle at that one. Yeah, I think it's more, a little more prurient, more in, more vulgar, I think there and British yeah. usage. Um, but yeah, so Fanny Hertz, um, yeah, so she uh, they they had a couple of um horse races, so they had um. They won the Kentucky Derby a couple times and um, were, yeah. So Fanny Hertz was the namesake owner of the horses. Well, John Hertz was the, uh, ran his car rental business. And John uh, D. Hertz, yeah. So anyway, so they were female horse owners, at least. But that's, uh, but like, in the, like, as part of the, um, um, you know, actual kind of working with the horses. Yeah. Like that um, Women are kind of kept out of things. Um, I don't know if any... Or at least at that level they had been historically, maybe? I don't... Yeah. Yeah. Seems, there's only they just been... Credited or I don't, I don't know. That seems there's crazy. only been one woman as a jockey ever to win triple triple crown race. Yeah. That was Julie, Julie Crone. Who won the Belmont Stakes in 1993? So it's been. I, I sort of remember that story like popping up. Yeah, so it's a little like it's one of those things where like this seems primarily it's just cultural slash uh, discriminatory. The um, the men in these races, it's not like you know, like I don't know if it if there's really much of a difference between a. I don't, I don't think there's not a lot, there's not like a like physical labor that a jockey has to do like that a man can do that a woman can't because again it's it's like it's like jockeys are very very little people usually yeah. uh, and you would say well more women are probably the size of a jockey than a man and we think of women as equestrian horseback right like in the olympics and the equestrian competitions yeah, yeah. men and women compete um as there's no separate men's and women's oh uh, competition, I don't think, at least in a lot of the races uh, or the jumping events and things like that. So I think it ju- it's just something that is uh, cultural and maybe probably that women are not really 
girls aren't really pushed into that sort of thing or or something like that. Especially now, I think a lot of, especially because a lot of the the jockeys are from uh, Latin American countries that are impoverished and uh, in probably more sexist in their culture than we are here. And so it's probably become more, maybe even more of a thing where there are more men that do some of those things than, than, than women. But um, because, yeah, Castellano, I think, is from, I'm not sure where Castellano is from. Is he from uh, Venezuela, maybe, or Puerto Rico? I can't remember. Uh, um, I'm looking it up right now. Venezuela. He's from Venezuela. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so like, like it's, you would say probably in those areas that it, it's more of a chauvinistic or macho kind of culture uh, that involves horse racing than in the United States even. And, but yeah, so Bajena Andrucci won with Arcangelo. And that's uh, something I think that's notable. Any did you watch did you watch any of the Belmont? Do you have any uh, other comments? Well, I forgot about I didn't watch it again. Yes. Okay. Well, well I was uh, gonna say guess... though, moving to one other topic that we hadn't really talked about before here. There was one more championship over the weekend, one significant milestone. Novak Djokovic won the French Open uh and broke the men's record for um open titles, twenty-three. Where does where do you think he falls now? Uh, in the uh, men's tennis history, he has the most. Um, is he the best? I don't think so. I I I'm still in, I'm still Camp Federer as the best. No, I think um, I think there's an argument maybe made for Nadal. Mm. But I think Nadal is so much of a, a I, he's heavy on the French. I guess you could maybe you could say that. Djokovic was he won oh, several on balance. Each. I think he won at least three of each of the four. Yeah, opens, which I think is the only. I think he's the only to have done that. Yeah, but he seems like he racks up a lot of Australian Opens. Yes, <laughs> which, which is true. like the least of the four. Yeah. Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Are Australian Opens, and that seems like, and he's sort of a dick, so I don't really like Djokovic and his like anti-vax <laughs> stuff. And like, yes, so he's he was, and he also kind of came up. He was younger than both Nadal and Federer, so like when he was playing against both of them, they were older and kind of on the downslope of their career. Right, Federer kind of had it worse because he was. When Nadal and uh, Djokovic had their ascendancy, he was also kind of on the downhill of his career mm. and kind of had to really battle to keep up his second stuff. I I think Federer's play was the most um, artistic and like you know kind of thoughtful and lovely. I think uh, Nadal had like a he was had this kind of motor and was a you know like you know never gives up kind of player and yeah Djokovic I guess is I don't know what he is he's just really good and but I don't like the only personality that he has is is not pleasing to me so I I just I just don't like him and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put him above either Nadal or Federer I could see ranking Nadal above Federer but 
personally for me, I would, I would put Federer one, Nadal two. Is that what would you? Even though the number of majors is a little different for each, right? Like Nadal will play next year in the French Open and might tie or come back. So I think you know Federer is done now, but I still right. like. Yeah, Federer was my favorite. Also, yeah, just just such a smooth player, though. Like everything was, uh, he just looked effortless all the time. That's what that's what I always thought was really impressive. Is looked looked like he wasn't even trying most of the time, and and it was just dominating everybody. Uh, yeah, for, for like long stretches of time, anyway. So, yeah, he was yeah. really impressive. Yeah, Fe- yeah, Federer's only weakness was on was on clay but that was also against because, Nadal but he played Nadal like at his height every time and so yeah. he only won one French Open but he won one two three four five six Australians one two three four five six seven eight Wimbledons one two three and five U.S. Open so he won a lot of each of them mm. except the French and so I don't I I and he played mostly against um Nadal at his peak and basically Djokovic has won a lot of French Opens lately because Nadal has been absent or not playing yeah and and the next you know guy hasn't appeared yet right that's going to be challenging him for titles we're you know at the tail end of like like you said like at the tail end of uh, Federer's career you know Nadal was already near his peak and and Djokovic was coming in like you know they they would take a few titles away from maybe what Federer would have gotten and yeah no one's really competing against Djokovic now so mm-hmm. it's uh yeah it's a little unfortunate for for uh, Federer and Nadal that you know rivals to Djokovic have shown up right so yeah yeah Djok- yeah I just I would say that in terms of career titles uh. It's just I think it's interesting. Um, number one overall is a surprising person, maybe I would say. We he's not considered to he's considered to be a long lasting player, but I would never consider him to be one of the greatest greatest tennis players of all time. Um, he's an American. You have any guesses who has won the most tour? Uh, well, not not just opens, but any or any slams, right? Just uh, just yeah. any tournament. Yeah, tournament titles. In the open era, so like the of the of the, yeah. Well, I mean, this is like ATP tour. Is an American, like Sampras or Sampras is he won sixty four. He is one two three four. He's tied for ninth overall. Like I don't think Agassi played enough. Agassi's a little bit lower than Sampras. He's one sixty. Yeah. McEnroe is McEnroe would be higher than Sampras. He won seventy-seven. Really, number one is Jimmy Connors. Oh, Jimmy Connors. Okay, yeah, one hundred and nine um, ATP Tour events, and he won several um, Grand Slams. He won a Wimbledon. He won an Australian Open, two Wimbledons, and five U.S. Opens. So, well, so he was a, he was like around the same time as McEnroe. Then, right? Didn't they? Yeah, he was around the same time as McEnroe. Then Agassi um, came up like at the tail end of their careers. Yeah, um, Con- I remember Connors. He made like the U.S. Open final, I think, or semifinals when he was older, like thirty nine or something like yeah. that. And so that was seen as like a big result. But then, like now, like you know, Federer and and they're all, like they're all playing well, better, like into their like into 30s. their forties. Yeah, even yeah. right. So yeah, um, but yeah, Connors is number one overall. Federer is number two with one hundred and three titles. 
And then it's Lendl, Ivan Lendl and Novak Djokovic tied for third at 94. And then Rafa Nadal has 92. Wow. So um, it's, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, yeah, I you know, they've all won a bunch. And it's yeah, kind of this, that's a lot of winning. It's kind of who you prefer. And I just, yeah, I like, I, for the eye test, that's why I like Federer. Mm. And, and for like my personality test, Djokovic also, is by, by far my least favorite uh, yeah. of those three. So he is of the three, and maybe even further down the list, uh, with other historical players. Yeah. Like, you know, I like, I like one of my, yeah, I like, like, you know, of the, like the dick kind of players, like John McEnroe, I liked. Yeah. He was he was clever and like he was I don't know, maybe maybe it's also just because I you know I don't know if I'm being you know maybe it's just because of when I grew up the Serbs were committing all this sort of ethnic cleansing violence I I tend to not like Serbian players because especially they grew up like in the 90s and like all that like like you know I, it's just maybe also part of my uh, dislike uh, for Djokovic yeah being a Serb. Uh, but like it's, it's yeah. all right if you were croatian or something maybe it'd be different but or or like you know i don't know but it's it's i just have a i just don't care for his um personality and yeah and i think was, the first time that i sort of like even really knew who he was he was kind of a a clown was sort of like um just showing that he could like imitate other players yeah he did that for a while on, too. It was, yeah. and it seemed like he was doing it kind of as a well, it was kind of funny, but maybe not funny for a lot of the. Yeah, but it was kind of a gimmick anyway, though. It wasn't. Uh, yeah. It was like he was just trying to like show off and and uh, you know make a name for himself, but wasn't winning at that time though. Like, but maybe, maybe that you know maybe that was like a you know foreshadowing just the the skills that he had by being able to like play as someone else and you know be reasonably good um, before he you know had his own game and it was just sort of like you know, showing that he, he could play, you know, reasonably well as someone else and then figured out his own stuff and then mm-hmm. or incorporated different other, you know, pl- uh, tennis players game to make his own game out of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe that was more of, you know, what he did anyway. But yeah, I just, I just thought he was kind of a clown when I first saw him. Yeah. He, he, was, he is the leading money winner prize money uh, at 169 plus million uh, number one. Nadal is second with 134 and Federer is third with 131-ish million. So like they're, you know, so part of it's also just there's more money as time goes on. So it's not like, but yeah. it well, I'm, I'm sure, sure Federer made a lot in sponsorships and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, outside of the game. Yeah. Uh, Federer is also still the oldest major title winner. Yeah, he was when he he was thirty six years old years old in five months when he won the Australian Open. Tied for second are Djokovic and Nadal. Nadal won the twenty twenty two French Open at thirty six years of age exactly, and Djokovic won the French Open at thirty six years of age. So, if they if one of them wins a, a a tournament next year, they will be the that person will be the oldest major. Since Federer has retired, and Nadal is also on the list as one of the youngest major winners. He was 19 when he won his first Grand Prix. So he's one of the five youngest and one of the five oldest people to win a major. Wow. 
in terms of oldest finalists, Roger Federer in 2019 Wimbledon was 37, almost 38. And he's the second oldest finalist. And the oldest finalist was Ken Rosewall, 39 years, 10 months in 1974. Uh, hmm. So, anyway, yeah, tennis. We haven't talked much about tennis, but yeah. Um, you know, you know who won the women's French Open? Nope, didn't hear. Yeah, uh, I think without Serena. Yeah, a uh, Swiatek won, so she's she's she was the number one seed. Um, and yeah, Iga Swiatek is. I always thought it was weird because it sounds like when they when they pronounce it like on the broadcast that it's like it's they say it more like shiantech okay it's almost well, like there's an, there's an in in there too but there oh, is that's, that's there. a little bit i think there's a there's a little i think that's right i think shiantech. yeah that's i mean that, that's how i've always heard it pronounced is with it's like shiantech shiantech okay that's probably right but like yeah, yeah it's like uh like valenza of the uh i'd never i i guess i'd only read uh Sviantek's name um like like valenza yeah. of of the polish uh independence movement and uh, uh, anti-communist movement he didn't have an N either, but he is W A L E S A. But I guess the um, one of the accent marks oh, gives yeah. an N sound. So it's okay. Shviant- Shviantek. Yeah, that's I just, I'd heard it pronounced that way, and I but I, but like repeatedly heard it pronounced that way. So I just yeah. assumed that is how it was. You're right. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. You, she's won four um, Grand Slams, Grand Slam titles. Three French Opens and a and a U.S. Open, so she's good. But it's like it's one of those things where there's not. Um, I think without Serena, without some of the big other big names, like it's it's yeah. it's it's not as interesting. I think yeah, men's men's tennis because it had like the huge stars for a while has um, become more captivating to the eyes. I'm sure to the actual tennis fan, like really who follows it, like it's just as good as ever but for the yeah like it's like golf without tiger woods was not as good and i think tennis without Serena williams or some of the big yeah you know, her, her big rivals that were i think it's just harder for the american or 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 some of those bigger names of of that of the i do think it's harder for the american fans because there aren't there isn't a dominant american player really mm-hmm. on either side right now. I think there's some really good young women's tennis players that are you know, maybe going to be competitors, but mm-hmm. just the... Yeah, Coco Gauff and... Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, oh, who else is there? There are a few other women's players that are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are some. And I, I think men's, yeah, there haven't really been any probably since Andy Roddick that has been um like really good and Roddick was of course like passed by Federer mm-hmm. and like Roddick won and then like Federer started, he won the US Open like in 03 or something and then Federer won like in 04 and like won everything and Roddick like he had that almost beat Federer that won Wimbledon final but couldn't and that was like his last hurrah and yeah and he was never uh now but you know he shouldn't feel too bad for anyone. He won the 03 US Open. I was right about that. 
think he was, he lost in the Wimbledon final, a very, like, 2009, 2009 Wimbledon um, in five sets. That was when uh, Federer lost the first set 5-7, then won 7-6, 7-6, lost 3-6, then won 16-14 in the final set and beat Rod and beat Roddick. Yeah. Um, Andy Murray was pretty good for a little while, too. He was kind of the yeah, fourth musketeer, but never quite. He didn't do it. He won Wimbledon. Like he, like there hadn't been a British, right? Winner of the of, Wimbledon of the, for uh, Wimbledon, yeah, decades. So like, got something like that off off their backs. But yeah, men's t- yeah, I think partly like I guess you know men's tennis didn't have a great American, but it was still very popular because I think the stars were transcendent enough that it, it didn't yeah. matter if they're American or not. Well, I think the other thing a lot of the U.S. fans kind of adopted. Federer, anyway. Yeah, Federer. Um, his his than, English was very good, and yeah, it was better than Nadal's for sure. And he yeah. seemed like I think he lived here for a fair portion of a year mm-hmm. of like a typical, you know, year anyway, right? So, yeah, um, Nadal. His I think he's yeah, his English was never as good as Federer. He's never quite seemed as if Federer was like James Bond kind of playing tennis. Yeah, he, had, he was that. that he had that sort of air about him too, or he's like he might actually be an international spy. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. So he had that going. Like, and some people yeah. who didn't like that, I'm sure, would say, "Well, like you like the workman life, Nadal." Better. But sure. I think also, I didn't Nadal's capri pants that he wore for a while also kind of took points away from me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just I did like watching Nadal uh, slide on on clay though, like because he would yeah. he would just he would really play into that. Um, you know, not trying to like stop hard on without, you know, just use it, just use the clay slide as far as you need to, and then use that to, to, <laughs> turn, to turn around anyway. Dude. Yeah. He, his uh, style of play on, on, on that, on that surface, at least anyway, was uh, always fun to watch anyway. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about the Capri. Yeah. There's, I looked up Raphael Capri pants. There's a lot of articles. Uh, yeah. So you, you didn't um, increase your Capri pants uh, budget. Uh, because of I did the doll? No, I did not. I did oh. not. <laughs> it rem- remained at zero dollars for your compliance budget. <laughs> but yeah, and I just never yeah, like, post Nadal. Yeah, I know. Yes. So maybe that was the fashion sense that I didn't care for Nadal as much. He was, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, I let you know, in Djokovic, I just never warmed to. Yeah. And so, uh, but speaking of never warming, uh, we have the Royals. Is that better? That wasn't as good, but it wasn't as good as the crap. But um, the Royals, they haven't won anything <laughs> since we last were on the air. They're still stuck at 18 wins. They lost again tonight, right, to the mm-hmm. Reds? Yes. And they lost 5-4 uh, to four yep. to the Reds. Um, what's going on with the Royals? Do, we, do they have any hope? Uh, it certainly doesn't seem like it. Yeah, it's um eighteen and forty nine right now. Been uh yeah, poor pitching performances. They seem to be able to score some runs, but uh, they come up short every single time. Uh, again, you know, bullpen usage has been very not so great. Um, it seems like they always go to the wrong guy in the wrong <laughs> in the scenario that they have. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, and in you know the con- the continuing of basically all of the free agents that they signed um being not just 
you know, not living up to what the expectation was, but just being terrible. Um, this week they ended up releasing or DFAing uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Jr. Yeah, um, he was the. I guess I thought maybe he could revive, you know, revive his career a little bit. That didn't work out. Sure. Yeah, but good spring, uh, they, so it seemed like they. Yeah, maybe, or, yeah, I guess they're trying you know, stuff or something, but. but it, I mean, the strategy from the team seemed to be let the kids play this whole season. And then they still ended up bringing in all these free agents uh, that took away playing time from them. And then eventually they've had to like move on from each of them one by one. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it like hurt the growth of the team and the young, some of these young players by limiting their playing time early uh, or if they just didn't want to make decisions and were hoping they could get trade value out of some of these veterans for and then keep the young players around and maybe develop a little bit more at AAA. Um, it just hasn't worked out at all. And, and yeah, it's worked. It's been really bad. They've actually have been passed now by the Oakland A's. They've won. Oakland A's have won seven in a row. They're nineteen and fifty, and the Royals are eighteen and forty-nine. So I guess technically, if they're they go one and one, virtually tied now. Yeah, A's have a two seventy-five winning percentage. The Royals two sixty-nine. So the Royals right now by by percentages. The percentages are the last end. in the in the majors, and so this would qualify them next year to have the number one overall draft pick in the 2024 draft is this what the royals are playing for do you think do they think they want is 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 this like you know like the astros you know they famously kind of tanked it for a while Mm -hmm. and then became a very good team recently because of all the young players that they acquired at the top of the draft is this you think the royals have never really been a team to really do that, although they've had some really bad teams, but I think Hosmer was, like was they number were two pick. Losing, Hochiver was number one overall. Hosmer was number two. I think Mustakas was number three. So like mm. they've been, they've, they've had been up there before. High draft picks. Yeah, it seemed like they were losing games on purpose, and this year it almost seems like they're losing games on purpose because they really can't be this bad. But uh and I know I know you and I have talked a lot about this in the in the past too about is. You know, should the Royals change their draft strategy, stuff like this that we've tried to like say we could tease out, like if they've just not been very good at developing players, like maybe they picked good players, but they haven't just panned out or if they're just bad at drafting. And and uh, I think we've undertaken a little project here that may help us figure some of this out. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think, um, you know, the, the, the draft's coming up and then. I guess July this year, so we have a couple more weeks to think about it. But yeah, the, are the Royals just bad at drafting? Are they bad at something else? Or they is this just a combination of being bad at a lot of things? But they're um, so how have the Royals? I guess, but you know, the MLB draft is something of a crapshoot anyway, because yeah. it takes a few years at least for good, even good players usually to make it to the majors. So, that, so that's always been my argument: is I don't think teams should try to lose in baseball because it takes so long for a player to make it to the majors and be an impact at the major league level. Whereas, like in football or basketball, NBA and NFL, you know the the turnaround can be very quick. You know, a last place NBA team with a number one player at the college level, you know, they may be at least middle of the pack the next year, maybe just with a single addition. Um, but mm-hmm. baseball, it's it's you know quite a long time to get to the majors, and and I didn't realize quite how long it was to get to the majors until I started pulling some of these uh, 
this data together from from uh, baseball reference um yeah um looks like just from the last two seasons combined the 2021 and 2022 drafts how many players do you think have actually had any playing time at all at the major league level from the last two drafts mm-hmm. two drafts that's, that's really fast like they'd have to probably be really high picks or maybe really just like college ready or maybe there's an injury or it's like september call up so like maybe like I remember Brandon Finnegan for the Royals um, yes. was called up the year he was drafted for the playoff. Race. It was really rare. But maybe, really rare. maybe there's been two or three total in the majors. So from, from last year, so they've had a full year now too. So they've had, you know, the last three months of the 2022 season, plus the first, mm-hmm. you know, two months of, of this season two plus months, I guess. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so just from last year, yeah, two players have made it to the majors, both from the Angels, actually, which I thought was interesting, at least anyway. Okay, um, and and they've been both have, been, have had some production to actually combined 1.2 war already from those two players, which is really are both, surprising. Are they both pitchers, or are they both? I didn't actually look to see who they were. I probably shouldn't have said that because you're probably going to ask me about that. <laughs> uh, but I can find out. Um, but even from the previous draft, the 2021 draft, if you add a whole other year, and and just as a as a note, there are about 600 players drafted um, in each of the last two years. So there are these are a small, a very tiny sample size. These are you know a total of 1,200 players between the last two drafts. Um, but 10, 10 players from the 2021 draft have made it to the majors. Okay, um, but so it, it looks like yeah, I'm I'm looking at the Angels right now. Yeah, last year, so I guess their first round pick Zach Neto is Neto, Neto. shortstop. He has played 53 games already this year. Yeah, he's from Campbell University, so he's a college player. He's he's worth 1.8 WAR already. So he's he's the majority. He's he's had 171 at bats already. Okay, uh, seems to be like they're starting. I guess they're starting short. And they also have a pitcher, Ben Joyce, who was their third round draft pick. They didn't have a second rounder. Hmm. Um, he's played in five games, one win, um, 4.5 ERA. So they're just so he's recently called up. So yeah, two, their top two play. So it's both it's it's their top two picks then. One shortstop, one pitcher. Okay. Yeah, that I mean that is absurdly fast to make it to the majors. But it just thought it was interesting that there are two that have made it and they were both in the same team even. So yeah, like the and number have... one and number two overall picks that made it, it was, you know, two picks from the same team, which means they weren't in the same round even. Yeah, so. Yeah, and it looks like the Angels have two picks from 2021 that also made it to the majors. Right. Neither one has been as good. They're two pitchers, both worth between negative one, four, and positive. So one, first round draft pick, Sam Bachman. 11th round draft pick Chase Silseth, both co- both college players. So I remember um, this was years ago, I guess. The last player I remember that was drafted and I think made it to the majors without going to the minor leagues was John Olerud. I think he didn't play in the minors at all. He went straight to they played for the Blue Jays and the Mets. I think I, I can't remember if it was for the Mets. I think it was for the Blue Jays uh, he started. And he didn't um, 
I don't think of him as playing uh, with the minors at all. Yeah, he it says he broke into MLB in 1989 without ever playing in the minors. That's impressive, yeah. So just go straight into the majors. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. He played at Washington State. And he and so he so he was drafted. Let's say let's say so he was drafted out of his junior year, I guess. It says Oh wait, no, after after his junior, he was gonna go to Washington for state for senior year, but agreed to sign with the Blue Jays only after they promised that he would report directly to Toronto. Hmm. So it, it wasn't was going to sign unless he went straight. This is 1989. So okay. Um. And in 1989, John Olerud, he only got he only played six games, but I guess he was drafted in '89, so it would have been like at the end of the season or something. Right. And, but then he played. He had eight at bats, three hits and eight at bats in, in 1989. But then he uh, had a start, a strong career. Um, basically, from the beginning, he was never a huge power hitter, but he was yeah, um, solid all around hitter, though player all. Yeah, 364 on base percentage his second his rookie year. Then in 1993, this was I guess I think that was the year that. Which just won the World Series. One of the years they won two in a row, 92, 93, I think. Um, he batted 363, 473 on base, 599 slugging percentage. OPS plus of 186. Only the th- only finished third in the MVP ballot that year. But he behind. was only picked in the third round, too. It wasn't. Yeah. He was behind Paul Molitor and Frank Thomas in 1993 MVP awards. Almater was also on the Blue Jays. Well, Frank Thomas was the un- unanimous pick because he had all the counting stats. It looks like, yeah, but he also had a very good year. But somehow, Molitor... he only went seventh, though. Hmm. Frank Thomas was seventh pick. overall. Yeah, yeah. It seems like yeah. Well, you. If you had redrafted that, he would be. Oh yeah, for by far. Yeah, Ben that was the Ben McDonald number one overall pick here. I remember that. Yeah. Uh we're Chuck so Knobloch was down there later in the first round. Mm-hmm. Forty four war player down there. Yeah. The very end of yeah, he played famously played for the Royals at the tail end of his career when he it was after he developed the yips when he couldn't yes. throw from second base to first base and was moved to the outfield, I think. Right. Yeah, didn't he hit a um, ESPN broadcaster's mother in this that was in the stands with a wild throw from short? Yeah, <laughs> I just remember that was that was pretty funny. I mean, the never, story he, was funny anyway. He played for yeah, so he played for the Twins early on, and he was solid for the Twins. And then he played for the Yankees and won a couple World Series with the Yankees, but then had the kind of meltdown. And then he played one year for the Royals in '02, and then never played again. So I guess playing for the Royals really soured 
Yeah, that must have been. <laughs> it was a late stop, and that was it. If you can't make it there, you're not going to make it anywhere else. I guess. It's sort of like Ricky and Keel when he tried to play for the Royals. Like after his, uh, he had the kind of yips as well as a pitcher. He couldn't throw it to home plate, and then he became an outfielder. Right. He was a decent-ish. Yeah, but he, he was a pretty but... good hitter, though. So that really helped his case, at least anyway. Because yeah, usually you know, pitcher wouldn't move to. Uh, you know, fielding position because they still have to hit. So, yeah, he, he was always a pretty decent, you know, hitting pitcher. And turned out he was a better hitter when he wasn't pitching, though, right? So, yes. So he stopped. He pitch, so he him. looks like he pitched in 1999. Started out rookie of the year, almost in second place rookie of the year, 2000, and then he only pitched a couple of times in 01 through. Oh four, and then was basically a hitter. Yeah, that sounds right. But yeah, so yeah, was, back, back, yeah, back, back to the yeah. Royals one. I was surprised to see yeah how long it really takes to develop players because it you know that that concept of like you know tanking for a draft pick. It doesn't seem like that great of an idea if it's going to take that long to develop. Like you don't have as a baseball team five or six years to wait around for your savior you would think right i mean you're going to want to win games sooner than that so what's the point in tanking now to maybe get a slightly better player that will help you six years from now it seems like it, yeah. it, it seems like the you know from pulling this draft data uh it six seems years like is the, is the is... five to six years before the like the draft class has the same uh, rough percentage of players making it to the major leagues um, as the previous draft classes. Yeah. So maybe it's about timing. You would say, well, maybe after, you know, you can think, well, if three or four or five years, our draft picks are going to make it up. We can also start supplementing with free agents by that point and, you know, put money in at the same time. It's kind of predictable and we can do it there and not waste money else other times or something mm-hmm. i think that's sort of what the royals kind of did it when they like they had all their draft picks kind of come up similar times and and then with hosmer like, and moustakis and dyson and gordon you know, the early years. Years. yeah, yeah. Um, gordon and had been there a little while but a little like, bit yeah but then like you bring in lorenzo kane and you you know you get escobar and mm-hmm. right yeah in the trade and, the Shields, uh, Wade Davis trade, the idea of that. And so I guess it's sort of kind of what they did. But yeah, um, it seems to me... That, that actually hurt their prospect concept, though, right? Because they traded who they thought was their best prospect to get Wade Davis and and uh, and James Shields, right? So Yeah, that later, Will, Will Myers was... That was the Will Myers trade, yeah. Well, he was their best so, one left, I think, because after Hosmer and... Um, yeah. Moose. Yeah, so that but that one was more about I think showing that they were willing to take on salary more mm. than anything else. And I think right now, you know, there, there's no point in the Royals taking on any salary because they're not going to win games. Yeah, it's seemed... so this is this is about yeah trying to like restock your minor league system. And it seemed like a lot of the trades they made in the last year or two were to restock the low levels of the minor league system while they brought all the AAA guys up to the major league. 
and I don't quite see what they were doing because it didn't seem like they were getting enough for some of the the players they traded last year, especially like Ben Intendi. They got like a ball guys for him, and it seemed like you, if you trade a guy like that, you should be getting like you know near major league ready players. Yeah, oh, it's not it's, so far like you still need three years of development, guys that may or may not pan out, but guys that are like just about major league level. Yeah, it's one and of the things the Royals were they were trying to do. It seemed like for a while they were trying to get near major league ready players, but they were like getting like high floor, but maybe low ceiling players. And maybe now they're trying to get high ceiling and maybe boomer bust type of players. Yeah. And which one's better? You know, who knows? Like when they drafted, like was it 2014 or something? 15 when they drafted Christian Cologne as their first mm-hmm. round draft pick, he was seen as kind of a a person who would definitely get to the majors, but maybe wasn't as high a yeah. um, ceiling player as some of the other. Uh, I will say Christian Cologne maybe maligned for his uh, not panning out as being a royal star. They would not have won the World Series without his performance specifically in yes. the playoffs and in the World Series game clincher even too. Yeah, so let's let's look at that looking at that first round of the 20s, 2010. So he was picked fourth. So that yeah. was the Bryce Harper year. <laughs> so if there wasn't been first, he could have gotten Bryce Harper, who would have been monster no matter what. Do you, you think or do you think the Royals would have ruined him? No, no, we would ruin Bryce Harper. He was he was like on the cover <laughs> of Sports Illustrated. He was sixteen, like he was. Right. He was he was a monster, and and then um, uh, Jameson Tylen, uh, Tylen Tylen. I can't remember how he, his name was pronounced. Uh, Tyone Tyone, yeah, Tyone, uh, Jameson Tyone uh, from the Pirates, and then Manny Machado was third overall yes. that year, and then the in, then the Royals took. Alone, but like there were a lot of good players that, like Gazmai Grandal was a first rounder. Chris Sale was a first rounder. Thirteenth overall. Kristen Yelich was a first rounder that year. Yes, future MVP. Noah Syndergaard in the uh, supplemental rounds. Mm-hmm. So there were some big names. Nick Castellanos that. was a supplemental pick too. Yeah. So like, it's one of the the other worlds did not pick a good. They they did not end up with a winner in that in that group. No. I guess they turned out so of the top five, uh Cologne was by far the worst. Pomerantz was better also. But but even if you're looking at the draft at the players that were drafted ahead of them, you'd think, well, shortstop went number three, Manny Machado. Why would you take the second best shortstop next as the fourth pick rather than the best? any other position out there that's still available right well well i guess I think can... that kind of stuff is really dumb like if you're looking at it from a from a team perspective as to what you want well maybe you could say well all the best players were shortstops like in the like in, like in no, like lower levels like you play your best player at shortstop usually like yeah. in the infield it's so, so like any infielder like that's third baseman second baseman they're going to be shortstop probably yeah. But it was like outfielder, right-handed pitcher, shortstop, or one, two, three. Yeah, that was the kind of a money ball. I think there's got to be another for... pitcher. There's got to be another position player or something else. But just a shortstop, it just doesn't – to me, it makes no sense why yeah. you would even consider that as your next pick. Matt Harvey was also pick, taken soon yeah. after. Future Royal Matt Harvey. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, even like the pick after Matt Harvey was um, Delano DeShields is a more like Royals type guy anyway, because he's like fast and, you know, could, you know, do some other things defensively too. Like you'd think that would be something that they, that they would mm-hmm. be maybe more interested in than Christian Colon. And that was the Brett so, Eigner was the second round pick that year. Yeah. Um, he was picked, uh, he was kind of in between pitcher slash outfielder. Yeah. They ended up putting him in the outfield. Um, there were some other, like Drew Smiley was, there were some second round was, is like, it really fell off in the second round compared to that first round in 2010. Angel Simmons is there in the uh, second round too. Was a gold glove shortstop there in the, so like, you know, there are other shortstops in the draft that went later. Yeah. So yeah, there's Simmons. Yeah. He yeah. was, he'd been on the prospect list for a long. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he was like the one diamond of the second round. JT uh, Realmuto was shortstop in the third round. So he yes. had a good, he had a good career. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, so that's they did not pick the second. They did not get the second best shortstop. Fourth round, hmm, James Paxton, I guess. But there's not really much in the fourth. Yeah. It's one of those things. It really does fall off, but like it's a, it's very but random. There will be some, you know, fluky player later that will be, you know, will have been valuable too. That you, you know you'd find. So, I mean, but like you know, your odds of your number one pick being great it's not a guarantee. And so, you know, tanking a whole season for a not guarantee doesn't seem like a good idea to me at all from a business perspective, from a team fan perspective, it doesn't, it does not make sense. And I don't think there's anything that, you know, a a Royals executive could tell me that would make me understand how it benefits anybody at all. Well, maybe if you see, well, there's Bryce Harper coming up this round. We know there's like a one in a, like a generational kind of player, we think. Yeah. Or do you think baseball is still too unpredictable? Like, I do. Like in football right now, I think because uh, people say Caleb Williams from USC, from Oklahoma, followed Lincoln Riley to USC, is like the number one quarterback. Yeah. Next year is going to be better than any of the ones that were here I mean, this year. We is spent he... a lot of time talking about this year's NFL draft. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, even the teams weren't sure which player was the number one pick this season, yeah. right? In the NFL, right? So, yeah, like sometimes, like there is a clear pick, but oftentimes that clear pick is not going to be the best player taken. Like, I, like, like in 26, 2017, uh, Mahomes was is by far the best player, but, uh, was seen as Miles, maybe Miles third, Garrett was the number fourth, one overall, fifth pick. best quarterback. Yeah, he was, he, he was. He was seen as third, third, third or fourth by most. Yeah. Um, I think one guy had him second. Yes, I think actually Mel Kiper had him as a second best quarterback. Yeah. Um, and, um, but yeah, he was picked. It's actually second over second after uh, Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky. But yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, even like NFL, it's it's. You don't know. And again, it's say, well, is it drafting? Is it development? Is it coaching? Is it something else? And the Royals aren't very good at any of it. And, and it's easy to think, well, maybe we can talk about more as, as the draft gets closer. Since we've been talking about the NFL, do you want to talk a little bit about the Chiefs? I've got, I've got two quick things here before we okay. move on, though. I, I was going to, yeah, you know, we are pull, pulling some of this data together 
um, from baseball reference about the drafts and, and, and the Royals compared to the rest of the league in the draft. I think we're going to be talking about that over the next couple of weeks, um, presenting some of the results that we have, uh, you know, we'll, we'll find out of this anyway. We'll try to answer that question. Are the Royals bad at player development or picking players or both over the next few weeks? I did. I had there was a one a trivia thing I was going to bring up too that I thought was interesting uh, from a completely unrelated story. It was a um, college baseball player from Stanford uh, threw uh, 156 pitches in a Ooh. game uh, this week, and it made me curious to know what the major league record was for pitches thrown in a game, Mike. Here's my trivia question for you. The stat, they started keeping the stat officially only in 1988. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so I was thinking probably like, and don't worry about all, don't worry about anything. Young prior, pitched a 24 inning game in 1906 yeah. or something. Don't, don't worry about that. We're going to talk about 1988 uh, was when they started keeping individual pitch stats on record for every game. Mm-hmm. The most pitches in a game uh, came in a, the Pirates pitcher, 1993, threw 172 pitches in a game. Can you name this pitcher? Was just that, or I have um, some other um, okay. clues I can lead. lead I to have a guess. Game, you know? I don't know if he played for the Pirates then, but he yeah. was a pretty good pitcher for the Pirates in the late 80s, early 90s, I think. Was it Doug Drabeck? Well, it was not. Okay. It wasn't him, but okay. you will know who he is, though, at least anyway. Um, we think, though, throwing that many pitches probably wasn't a super hard throwing pitcher. See if that hmm. may be a clue that may help. Was Jamie Moyer with the Pirates back then? It's good, good thinking, but not, not Jamie Moyer. Hmm. This player I, I, probably had his most meaningful years with the Boston Red Sox, though. Oh, who's that guy? Um, Tim Wakefield. Tim Wakefield. Wakefield, yeah. So the next clue is going to be is like he's not just a not necessarily a hard thrower. He's actually a knuckleballer. Knuckleballer. That's a, yeah, yeah. I was like, like I, that was going to be the next clue. So. Knuckleballer. So knuckleballer. I didn't okay. want to go to that yet. I was going to. But that was good. That was, yeah. I, 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 I pulled out Wakefield. I couldn't. I, I was like, who? Yeah. Tim Wakefield. Okay. Yeah. Yes. 172 pitches where he went. Um, He pitched, I believe, 10 innings in that game. 10 plus innings start the Pirates against the Braves. Um, But they're in the same article. Um. There is a discussion about, uh, I guess it's technically unofficial, but uh, Nolan Ryan once th- threw 235 pitches. I was going to guess Nolan Ryan before. In, uh, you said uh, 1974 he... game where he had 19 strikeouts in 15 innings. <laughs> how, so how, how many? No, was... no, he pitched, no, he pitched 13 innings of a 15 inning game. So he got a no decision, but he got 19 strikeouts, which is the second uh, by total, the second highest strikeouts in a game total so wakefield oh, had 100 and was 58 you said 72 174 172 i think 172, 172. yeah 172 okay 
I was looking up. Yeah, he was, and he didn't pitch the whole game either. Apparently, correct. Yeah, Doug Drabeck. It was over a ten inning game too. I, I just looked up Doug Drabeck. He pitched his last year for the Pirates was nineteen ninety two. He got traded to Houston or went oh, to Houston for ninety. I mean, it was pretty good to pull him out of there too. So, yeah, Jamie Moyer was uh, pitching for. He never, he never pitched. He never pitched for the Pirates. Jamie Moyer in 1993, he was with the Orioles. Oh, well, then the Orioles then. Okay, all right. He started out with the Cubs. So Cubs three years, two years Texas, St. Louis 1991, then Baltimore for three, two and a half years, Boston for a half season, Seattle for I think I probably most remember from for Seattle. That's what I remembered him from. wasn't Wasn't Seattle? When was he in Seattle? From 96 through 2006. Okay. That's, and yeah, then he pitched, that's, a, that's a full 10 years. There. And then he finished for the Phil, his last few years with the Phillies. Oh, and then he came back at age 49 and pitched for the Rockies in 2012. That's right. So he was 47 when he pitched. Right? So I think he was 45 when he pitched for the Phillies in 2008. They won the World Series in 08, I think. Yeah. Um, he was 16 and 7 at age 45. Wow. 371 ERA. How did he do in that year he came back? He was 2 and 5 in 2012. He was 2 and 5. So he didn't pitch at all in 2011. He was 2 in 2012. He was 2 and 5 for Colorado, 5.7 ERA, only 53 yeah. But no, I mean, no one was good in Colorado. Yeah, 10 starts in that uh, era anyway. Years. So yeah. and he was still a starter at that point. So, like, yes, yeah, he won. So, Jamie Moyer won 269 games in his career, lost 209. Um, has so uh, I think the current we looked up the current win leader in baseball is Justin Verlander, right? Oh, I think that sounds right. Yeah, he's at 246. Um. And uh, Grinky is second with 224. Max Scherzer's 206. Clayton Kershaw, 205. Wayne Wright, 197. It doesn't seem like uh, Grinky's going to be getting a whole lot of wins this year either. So. And Cole Hamels. I didn't realize Cole Hamels was still, was still playing. No, I didn't know either. Yeah. Ronnie Cueto, Garrett Cole, Madison Bumgarner. Bumgarner's only 33. Is that right? I guess so. He hasn't been. He's fallen off the cliff this year. 0-3, ERA. Is Grinky the innings pitched leader active? This yes. Is he's, got, he's got more than Verlander. Yeah, 33-18. Verlander, 32-02. Interesting. Do you think Grinky, Grinky is a Hall of Fame pitcher? I think he's probably right on the edge. If not in, he's got a does he have a championship? Maybe he doesn't have a championship. Did he win with uh Houston? Or did they well, he was in the World Series a couple of times, I think. I, th- I don't think he won though when he was there. Yeah, no championship. He's got a Cy Young with the Royals. Yep. He had a season in with the Dodgers where he was nineteen and three 
1.66 ERA and got second in the Cy Young. I think Jake Arrieta went won it later, but he should have. That's won. crazy. But he, I think he's man. What he's is the, the current? What is the, the current what loss the, leader? What did the first do? Arietta had a good. I looked that up somewhat recently. Arietta had a pretty yeah. good, had a he's similar year. Two and six with one seven seven years. So he, he had uh, more losses, three more wins, three more losses. Arietta did. Yeah. ZRA was slightly higher. Was that the year that the Cubs won? From three shutouts. Yeah, their their stats are really similar. I guess he had three more wins. Three more wins, so that's enough, I guess. Yeah, was that the year the Cubs won? No, it was 2015, so that was the year the Royals won. That was the year the Royals won, yeah. Cubs won next year, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know, yeah. But nineteen and three is a crazy record. Yes. But he when he when he won for the Royals, did he only have ten wins? He no, was, he had sixteen wins. Sixteen, which was seen as not very many. Yeah. But he had two point sixteen year. He was under two for most of that season. Yeah. For a really bad Royals team in two thousand nine. Yeah, because he he had three fewer wins than. Felix Hernandez, Justin Verlander, and CC Sabathia that year. But that yeah, his ERA, his ERA was almost a half point lower than. Mm-hmm. Well, Felix Hernandez was 249. He was, Greeky was 216. But uh, yeah. Well, anyway. Um, Uh, you want to talk about uh, a little bit about the uh, NFL offseason? Yeah, we have a, a little bit of Chiefs news. Um, I guess maybe non-Chiefs news now because Frank Clark signed with the Denver Broncos. I think there was some hope maybe that the Chiefs would try to bring Clark back on a low-money deal, but they had released him earlier, so that's not surprising that he um, yeah. went to Denver. They could probably pay him more than Chiefs can with their salary cap concerns. Do you think um, – with Frank Clark as an addition, and you think Denver has a chance to beat the Chiefs this year, or, or are they still with with you know Sean Payton and uh, you know some of their you know they've had a good defense there for a mm-hmm. while. I think Vance Joseph is um, is um, back in Denver, but he's the defensive coordinator. He's not the head coach anymore. No is you know do they have you think you think the Broncos will maybe we'll say you think the Broncos have a chance to take one out of the two games against the Chiefs? I mean, there's there's always a chance with uh, division rivals, but uh, you know there's no reason to bet against Mahomes and the Chiefs and Andy Reid really. So they they've had uh, you know like a stranglehold on the division pretty much for uh, you know the better part of a decade at this point. Um, they've won 15 straight against Denver, the third longest streak of any team against a single opponent. Last, that's pretty crazy. The last time the Broncos won against the Chiefs was September 2015. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was the year. I mean, that's a long time for like college opponents to, you know, meet in, in football where you really play once a year and maybe not even every year to in certain conferences anyway. Right. So 
Um, that was in Arrowhead. That was the year that the Broncos won the Super Bowl. Yeah. And that was the last year Peyton Manning's career. That was actually later in the season, actually, the Chiefs, I think, knocked Peyton Manning out because he was so ineffective and was replaced by Brock Osweiler most of the end, at the end of the year. Oh. Uh, that year. But, um, yeah, so that's been Peyton Manning was the quarterback when the, when the Broncos last beat. Jeez. Oh yeah. yeah. So how how many quarterbacks have they had since? How many? I wonder if that's that's what we can look up later. But yeah, how many how many different quarterbacks have faced the Chiefs from the Broncos in those fifteen starts? Then have we seen ten different QBs? It may be up in that area, right? Yeah. So in twenty fifteen, Osweiler started seven games, but I don't think I don't know if he started any of the games against the Chiefs. Yeah, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, in 2016 started games. Simeon, Osweiler, Lynch, 2017. Case Keenum, all of 2018. Yeah. 2019 had Flacco, Drew Locke, Brandon Allen. 2020 was Locke, Jeff Driscoll, Brett Rippon, and that was also the year the game. Philip Lindsay actually was a technically the starting quarterback when they had no quarterbacks. That's right. Uh, uh 2020, and it was Bridgewater, Locke. And then Russell Wilson, Brett Whippen also started a couple. But like, yeah, it's you're you were already up over ten names. They've had they've, had, they've had as primary starters, if you include Osweiler as the primary starter. Yeah, one time, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Wilson is their seventh primary starter since um, uh, since 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 Peyton Manning. Yeah. But that's you know what, it's a 2015. So we were talking about basically, basically a new starter, years, right? Yeah, so it's a different so starter. Basically, the only one that's kind of guaranteed as a repeat. Yeah, man, that's crazy. He could he could go yeah. down. Um, other I don't know what else, uh, other uh, other Chiefs news was that I think uh, I saw that Clyde edwards Elaire was he was sort of questioned because he didn't um, show up at the uh, Super Bowl parade, but he had a prior commitment and was talking about kind of being enthusiastic for this year's season and that, you know, he's, I think, um, maybe trying to probably play, I would guess, for his next contract, probably not with the Chiefs for next year to look good. Um, so he seems like he's, like, so the, I mean, the Chiefs will have, if, if Edwards Allaire is, is healthy, they have, it seems like they have three solid running backs now with Pacheco and um, uh, you know, kind of McKinnon uh, yeah. as the top Maybe, I don't know who it's hard to say who maybe the top the order of that is going to be. Yeah. But, um, I was, I, I, I thought it was good to hear that it wasn't like I was, I was upset that he didn't play. He was, he was probably, he was still coming back from the injury and, and he, had yeah. said that he, he was going to play. He was probably going to start as a wide receiver for the Chiefs That's because crazy. there were so many wide receivers that were hurt going into the, because in that Cincinnati game, they all went down. And then they were, you know, there was question, well, was, is, Tony gonna make it? Is Hardman gonna play? Is right? Um, you know, um, yeah. Basically, I think MVS was the only healthy, <laughs> right, at that point. But um, but, Kel- but Kelsey's the only one they actually need, though, right now. So. Yeah, it seems like at, at least as long as they have Kelsey. And I heard Kelsey's last. He said he wasn't gonna t- retire after this year. He's gonna play at least a couple more years. So. Um, Good to hear. Other NFL news: Dalvin Cook got released. Do the Chiefs have any, uh, are going to pick up another running back? I don't think so. But yeah, no. I mean, it'd be interesting, but I seriously doubt the Chiefs will have 
the funds to go after somebody like that because isn't he do somewhere around he's, 10 to 15 million dollars right? yeah i'm sure he, yeah, he's and he's still pretty much in the prime of his career unlike yeah. Zeke elliott he's probably kind of washed up or at least on the maybe just as a short yardage back at this point Dalvin cook is still one of probably the top five to ten running backs mm-hmm. maybe maybe higher than maybe five running backs in the league yeah um, but yeah minnesota got real it seems a little strange that minnesota's releasing a lot of their players since yeah it seems like they got kind of lucky last year being so as good as they were and now with Rodgers out of green bay it seems like the division is theirs if they really want it but it seems like they're kind of letting detroit um move up yeah their divisions so i don't maybe, maybe minnesota is sneakily tanking and hopefully they get they want to get caleb williams or some quarterback next year after cousins maybe I don't know. So you don't expect them to be um, like winning in the last minute of every game this year? Yeah, no. They were like, like, they were they did, not, uh, were they like 10, 10 and 0 or something in one score game. Yeah, something like that. They kept coming, they kept like winning these like improbable games. Like, even one game they were behind by like four touchdowns or something, right? In the, you know, and made up that entire deficit in like the second half, even. So, yeah. Yeah. They won 11 one score games. That's. That's insane, yeah. Well, they were eleven and zero, one score games. Wow, not bad. Um, and speaking of maybe free agents, uh, one of the big free agents still was going to be uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, and Buffalo was rumored as a DeAndre Hopkins destination. But now, I think uh, it seems like Stefan Diggs might not have been too happy about trying to get DeAndre Hopkins because uh, he's holding out again at training camp, something he likes to do. Do you think um, if Stefan Diggs, uh, do you think do you think the Bills are maybe less likely this year than last year to have, make a good playoff run? Are they, are they kind of at the end of their window, or what's going on in Buffalo? Yeah, it probably, yeah, fully depends on how healthy Josh Allen can stay for this season. It seemed like he, you know, took that elbow injury towards the end of the season and was never quite the same um after that um that one particular hit at least anyway and uh maybe you know Diggs second half of the season then suffered because of that too um yeah i mean until buffalo drops you know five or six games at the start of the season i think you're going to have to see him as a threat Right. <laughs> is that is that how you'd see that too? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um yeah, it all depends. Like it all depends on Allen. And yeah. I think now his division's gotten tougher. I think the Dolphins, if Tua is healthy, are a pretty good team. Who knows about Rogers? So like it was yeah. like for a couple of years, it seemed like the, the the Bills had an easy division, and that wasn't that was one of the reasons they were right. good. And also they had, yeah they didn't have to pay very much for Josh Allen uh, when he was really good, and now they do. So it's yeah I think it's kind of this is probably the last year that like Bengals also will have uh, ability to kind of do whatever they want because Burrow's going to get paid too. So it's, it's, yeah, I think this is last year maybe was Allen's best shot. But maybe you could say going if he's if he's healthy, going forward, if all of the AFC quarterbacks are no longer on rookie deals, mm-hmm. and field kind of evens, and maybe 
Yeah. Uh, maybe a couple years down the road, Buffalo could be back. But yeah, I think I think maybe Buffalo's best chance was last year. Maybe. And they. Yeah, and then Allen got hurt, and like, and like we don't. Yeah, like you said we don't know the extent of his injury. Maybe it's worse than what we thought, or they thought because it, it was like a Tommy John kind of seeming mm-hmm. injury, and Brock Purdy got this got surgery for it, and it doesn't seem like Allen did so. Yeah, I think he avoided it maybe two different times even, like one other time earlier in his career that Josh Allen maybe could have or maybe should have in some ways. Um, you know, had gone ahead and had the surgery, but um, yeah, and I, and I don't think Purdy had to have the full replacement anyway. I think they just like stabilized it. Mm-hmm. You know, added something alongside of the ligament to Mm. You know, help hold it in place without having to actually do the full replacement. So he's only supposed to miss, you know, six months instead of more or less eighteen months to two full yeah. years, which and is the typical was, like Tommy John surgery I, I, recovery timeline. Yeah, like you had said, well, you know, we worry about Allen his long term health of yeah. being a running quarterback. But I guess in this way, this injury was not a running quarterback injury; it's just a typical quarterback injury that can happen to anyone. So like, you got Mahomes or or. or burrow or or you know like having to purge like so like it's just one of those things you know you never quite know either in, in this right. injury luck and so yeah i yeah because that actual injury happened when he was in i believe was in the pocket even and had and he just had his arm hit as he was throwing and it like pulled yeah. his arm back so yeah it was it wasn't like a riskier unwise kind of play right like um like one of the Jimmy Garoppolo injuries was a risky kind of unwise play that he got. I think this was against the Chiefs, actually. He got hurt, like he hurt his knee, like trying to run out of bounds, or like give a guy a hit at the end while he was going yeah. out of bounds when the when the 49ers were down like by 25 points to the Chiefs. And um that was maybe Mahomes' first year as a starter, I think, if you remember that game. Yeah. That was when we had that first kind of whirl around big touchdown pass. Right. Um but yeah, I, I Diggs is always it seems like he's sort of a malcontent and he is kind of a wide receiver kind of diva type character and he's yeah. not happy ever. And I think having Hopkins there would they don't really have yeah, really that'd, be, a yeah, that'd, be, that'd be a lot of ego to balance for a coach. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't have like a second like a like they don't have like two really top like Gabriel Davis does really well against the Chiefs, but he doesn't like. It seems like they don't. He doesn't do that well against the other teams the way he does against the Chiefs. And like they don't have, yeah. like, they don't have the, like they don't have the weapons that Cincinnati has on offense. Yeah, it's mostly is Allen, and so who knows? But um, we'll see what happens. We have more, much more time to discuss the offseason. We've really kind of gone long, I think, today longer than we thought. Yeah. Uh, should we should we should we wrap up the warning track power hour? I think so, yeah. The warning track right. power two power, hours. Two hours. Yeah, we'll see how long this one is. Maybe it'll be like the um Tim Wakefield most uh pitches in a game. This might be the our longest time uh in a while. Um yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe it'll be a split into two parts or something, even who knows. <laughs> oh yeah, that'll yeah, we'll see. Uh we haven't done that before, even though we've been long. So, we, but usually it's been like NFL season. We have a lot of games. But this is we're just, uh, yeah, 
scrounging for interesting topics and sometimes finding them. Well, there were just so many championships to talk about. That's yeah. I mean, that was like that was like the first you know big segment anyway. So yeah, championship. We had we had yeah we had the French Open, we had Belmont, we had the NFL, I mean NHL and NBA finals. So we get all that. Yeah, and and the, and the French Open too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you say that? Did you already say I think that? I said that. No, I meant to right. say it, but I didn't say it. Since we already remember what we're saying or remembering to say, we, we should probably it's should tough. sign out. It is uh, getting late here in the East, also pretty late in the Midwest. And uh, that tells us that uh, we should wrap things up. But you will probably be listening to us probably earlier unless you use us to fall asleep too. Like um, I know so many of you might because of our groaning voices and uh but maybe our soothing uh uh, dulcet tones dulcet tones as they as they um at any rate i am dr michael orman he is dr andrew scaff we are the one in check power hour please like and or subscribe to our little our not so little now uh today uh podcast slash youtube channel and we hope that you will find something to enjoy in the aftermath of the you know th- you know the NBA the NBA and NHL, NHL seasons we only have one major American sport going on right now that's baseball and if you're a Royals fan there's nothing not a whole lot to cheer about but hopefully there's something you can find that's interesting um, we didn't even talk about the PGA merging with the LIV uh, golf tour uh, I guess we could we can always talk bonus segment next time we haven't really gotten too much into, into golf here on the Power Hour but it's if we're really waning in terms of power, we might have to uh, do something. With. But at any rate, that's all. That's a discussion for next week and for the future. In the meantime, we'll just wish you a good day.